Well, good morning, everyone. Nice to be here. Oh, nice been having, isn't it? Uh, I'll make the joke just once, but I haven't been here for a while. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Although, ironically, the last time I was here was the last time you did Exodus and Guy was preaching. So I feel like it's just happened and now I can just carry on from there, even though quite a lot's happened uh, in between. Um, so as Joe said, I'm Toby. Uh, I lead the worship team across our sites um, at Grace Ch- for Grace Church. Mostly I'm in Chichester, although um, I think for the next few weeks I'm kind of here, there and everywhere. So... Uh, but when I, when I try and stick to one place at once, I'll be in Chai. Um, I work for the charity Compassion. Many of you will sponsor children and have sponsored children in the past. Uh, that's what I do as a day job. Um, and uh, I'm here going to be preaching through Exodus this morning on the story of the Passover. There's actually loads of... Ooh, this might surprise you, but there's loads of Bible this morning. Um, uh, but I'm going to go from Exodus 11, uh, 1 to 12... And then I'm going jump to jump over a little bit and do a bit more. But uh, if you want to get that ready, I'm just going to give us a bit of recap, because it has actually been a while since Guy did his talk. So where did we end up last time? So the last time we were looking at this, we were working through the plagues, uh, you know, that nice cheery uh, subject of the plagues. And... Um, We've gone through uh, the water turns to blood, the frogs, the lice, the flies, livestock, uh, and boils, hail, locusts, darkness. This is a cheery topic uh, for the morning, isn't it? Uh, all the nasty stuff. Uh, so that's where we were kind of leading up and how each of those plagues was um, deliberately done in such a way to show God's power over the Egyptian gods and how each one represented a victory over uh, it's kind of equivalent God or the God that looked after that supposed thing. Um, so that's where we got to. And now we land on the final plague. Now the final plague um, is the death of the firstborn. So I'm going to read from Exodus uh, 11, as I said, some of 12, and then jump to the end of 12. So I'll try and, uh, try and keep up with me. I'll read it through as well. Have I got the clicker? Oh, it's down there. Um, Thank you all. Um, So we'll just jump straight into this. Um, Here we go. So, now, the Lord said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. After that, he will let you go from here. And when he does, he will drive you out completely. Tell the people that men and women alike are to ask their neighbours for articles of silver and gold. Brackets, the Lord made the Egyptians favorably disposed towards the people, and Moses himself was highly regarded in Egypt by Pharaoh's officials and by the people. So Moses said, this is what the Lord says, about midnight I will go through Egypt. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die, from the firstborn son of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the firstborn son of the female slave who is at her handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle as well. There will be loud wailing throughout Egypt, worse than there has ever been or will ever be again. But among the Israelis, not a bark will bark at any person or animal. Then you will know that the Lord has made, uh, makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. All these officials of yours will come to me, bowing before me and saying, Go, you and all the people who follow you. After that, I will leave. Then Moses, hot with anger, left Pharaoh. The Lord said had said to Moses, Pharaoh will refuse to listen to you, so that many wonders will be multiplied in Egypt. Moses and Aaron performed all these wonders before Pharaoh, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let the Israelis go out of his country. The Lord said to Moses, 
uh, Moses and Aaron in Egypt. This month is to be, I don't know if I've actually been jumping forward or not, I hope somebody else has. Thank you, Guy. Um, this month is to be for you the first month and the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man has to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for the whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you must take them from the sheep or the goats. And take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they will take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or boiled in water, but roast it over the fire with the head, legs and internal organs. It's not a great one for vegans this morning. Sorry about that. Um, do not leave any of it till the morning. If some is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals. I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, but when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. Right, we're going to stop there, and I'm going to jump forward to the end of 12, which is just 29 and 30. So I'm going to skip a little bit here. Then it says, At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon, and the firstborn of the livestock as well. Pharaoh and all his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night and there was a loud wailing in Egypt for there was not a house without someone dead. Right, I'm going to pause and pray there because there's uh, a lot in there. Uh, it's a potentially tricky and uh, interesting topic to cover. So let's just pause and pray there. Lord, I just thank you for your words. Lord, I thank you for all of it. I thank you for everything you say and what it can teach us today. But Lord, I pray as well, I thank you for the deliverance that you gave the, um, the Jewish people on that day, Lord, that we can still celebrate that today and we can still uh, give you thanks for the ways you deliver us from things as well. In your name. Amen. Right. Okay. Now, does anybody here know what the 21st of September is? Does anyone here know? It's a very significant day in the calendar. It is my birthday, thank you. It's uh, 1988, I'll let you do the maths. Um, I know, you can't tell. Um, but um, I want you to rewind to the ancient history that was the 21st of September 2022. It was a long time ago, it was a Wednesday. Um, now, I don't make a massive kind of birthday thing most of the time, I just kind of, it happens, it, especially when you get to sort of you know, like 34. It's not as exciting. It's like, there's no significant milestone. It just kind of happens. So I thought I'll, I'll go crazy. Uh, I'll, I'll go to work in Costa and get myself a blueberry muffin. This was my big birthday treat to myself. Um, now, I know it's, I, I do live dangerously, but um, has anyone heard of this thing, Kudo Board? Has anyone come across this in their workplaces or anything like that? Right, I'll explain what it is. It's basically a digital birthday card. 
Now, what it is, is, is they'll send an email around, it goes around the office, and everyone writes a nice little message, puts a little gif on, a funny little meme or something, happy birthday, whatever, you know. And it goes around, it get, everyone pass it around, and on your birthday, it gets emailed to you. So, obviously, most of us are remote workers. I'm a, I was remote before the pandemic, let alone now. So it gets passed around, passed around, and then on your birthday, you get this nice email with all these nice messages from everyone on this sort of digital birthday card. Would anyone like to see what mine looked like on the 21st of September, 2022? Well, I don't know if you can see, but I've circled in blue there. Posts, zero. <laughs> there you go. That was my kudo card this year. You might be looking at that thing, there's not much on there. It's because there's nothing on there. So it was harsh. It was, uh, I know, brutal. It was, uh, I, I would call it somewhat depressing. Um, now, what? due to an administrative error, I would like to point out, no one had signed it. It, it just passed over everybody's email desks. And I was a little bit like, I'm not a big birthday girl. I was like, that's kind of rubbish, right, to get a blank. But I'd rather have just not had anything, let alone a blank birthday card. So depressing. Uh, I wonder, have you, have you ever had a similar, a similar situation where you've been ignored, forgotten, passed over, maybe for a job promotion? Uh, I'm sure Joe has never been passed over to be on someone's football team, but it's that, that also would be a, a subject for more therapy for me, being passed over on the school football team. But... Um, We've all experienced something like that, right, I assume, not just me. Um, the words being passed over, by and large, are quite negative, I would say, for most of us. Maybe even now you're considering that. But I can assure you that this is the most positive passing over of ever being passed over in the history of being passed over. Okay? In fact, so much so that they call it the Passover. It is celebrated on this particular um, in fact, every Jew, the um, modern day, will be celebrating it this year from the 5th to the 13th of April. Uh, Wednesday the 5th of April to the Thursday the 13th. So it's kind of a whole, it's a Passover festival. It's kind of a big thing in the Jewish calendar. Probably the most famous Jewish holiday. Perhaps Hanukkah, maybe winning out there. But, um, but this is where it comes from. This is the thing they are celebrating, this very event. Um, and... It's a hugely positive thing, but it's not without its challenges. In fact, the first whole section of what I read, to, well, sort of middle section really, was an exceptionally long list of instructions of what exactly you had to do. Um, it's like the worst technical challenge. When I read that, I thought that is the worst technical challenge ever. Like, I'm going to read you these in instructions once of how to make this thing. I'm not going to tell you again. You have to go and do it exactly perfectly. Um, that would scare the heck out of me. <laughs> like, you'd be doubting yourself at every turn, wouldn't you? Sorry, was it bitter herbs? Sweet herbs? Was it, was it fire or boiled? I can't remember. Like, I can't even make a cake without checking the recipe a hundred times, let alone trying to roast the lamb in the correct way. Um, thank goodness they had people there to remind them what to do. Um, but God basically says, you need to do this in this exact way for you to be rescued and to be saved. And it's kind of broken down into three sections, really, and that's what we're going to explore um, today. Let's get the really depressing happy birthday, Toby, off the screen. Um, and we're going to break it down into three bits. We've got the lamb and the significance of the fact that they have a lamb and the way that that's dealt with. Then we have sacrifice and we have, ultimately, the rescue. So we're going to break it down into those three things, the lamb, the sacrifice, and the rescue. Now, for this whole process of sacrificing the lamb, we really do need to put ourselves in the context 
of a Jewish person of the time. Because for many of us, these instructions seem a little odd, perhaps, or at least there's things that we read that, that don't read correctly to us now. If even just the time of day is different when we read it now compared to what they'd have read. So we do need to look back and explore context a little bit and to imagine us in that situation as a Jew. So, for example, when it says um, there's a bit in there about it needing to feed one family, and if your family is small, then you need to invite your neighbor in and, and share it. Um, a small family would have actually been nine people in a, in a family. So just, um, that is not a small family to me. That is a massive family. We're in Simpson-Charlton territory when we get to, you know, families of nine. So technically, one lamb, if you had two small families, could have had to feed up to about 18 people, which just, you know, feel like I could eat one myself, let alone between 18 of you. Um, and uh, so, you know, just as what we... We did need to read into these things. I'm not going to go over every single one, but I think it's important that we consider kind of if we were in that situation. Number two, um, when it says the lamb you need to get, it makes a big point of saying it needs to be a perfect lamb. In fact, it says the animals you choose must be year-old males without defect. So what it's describing here is it says year-old males, so that means between eight days to the age of one. That was what was considered ideal for a, for a lamb, uh, rather than one to two. And without defect. So they couldn't just kind of pick the one that looked a bit like, mm, I don't think he's going to last <laughs> till year two. Let's say it had to be perfect specimen, a perfect lamb. And you had to take care of them till the 14th day. So you had to look after it, care for it, nurture it. If you had little kids, probably giving it a little cuddle, whatever, you know, just kind of having this lamb kind of in your home. Um, it wouldn't have been staying in the field. You would have taken it into your home and looked after it. And then they're told they need to slaughter the lamb at twilight. Um, now, twilight for us, which would be the, the height of the night, so to speak, is midnight, because that's when we measure our days kind of turning over. Our day ends at midnight. Whereas for them, twilight would actually be in... It, the, the word twilight has a funny translation. We don't have something direct. Um, it actually means between two evenings. Um, so for them, it would have been between three and six in the afternoon, which is just uh, another contextual thing we need to consider. They're not actually like getting up at midnight to slaughter a lamb. That would be <laughs> as a slightly different thing to it. But um, because their days, a Jewish person's day ends at sundown rather than in the middle of the night when our clocks turn over. So it's just helpful for us to understand the picture that's being created here. Um, they're even told how to cook it and in what way to cook it. Um, I, yeah, weird recipe. I don't know if this makes particularly good lamb or bad lamb. I guess probably tastes fine. But roasting in a fire. In fact, I'll just read some of that bit again. So it says, you take the blood, so you're supposed to kill it and drain it, and then take some of that blood and paint it on the door frame. So that's kind of instruction number one. And that's the kind of quite symbolic thing that we will know if we've heard the story before. Um, and then that same night there to eat the meat roasted over the fire along with bitter herbs. Now, I was doing some research into what was considered bitter herbs, and uh, I did want to buy some. I sort of uh, <laughs> for, I forgot about that. Um, but um, parsley and horseradish would uh, be kind of the modern-day things that we would probably use. Um, I don't know how you feel about horseradish. I'm not so keen on it, you know? No, not keen. Um, parsley's all right, though, isn't it? It's fairly inoffensive as far as herbs go um, and there's, a, there's some other ones as well but parsley and horse so next time you're cooking some lamb try parsley and horseradish if you want to be 
uh, if you want to get yourself into the Passover mood. Uh, Passover mood. Um, and then along with the head, legs, and internal organs, you basically just got to chuck it in the fire until the whole thing's... I feel like that would take ages, to, but with everything in, like, because you normally... You know, you take it. You know, you take the internal organs out and you cook it that way. But I feel like it'll take a really long time. And then it gives you instructions on even the way you will need to kind of be your manner when you eat it. It says, um, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And then it says that you cannot keep any either. Forget uh, chucking it in a Tupperware for the following day. No, you eat it or it's gone. You're not keeping any of it. Now, I think there is significance in a few parts of this, but, uh, I, and we could go into a lot, in a lot of it, but I don't want to do all of it. I want to focus on a few small details here. One is how you should eat it. It says you should do it with your cloak tucked into your belt and your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. What he's saying is you need to eat it with the view that you're not sitting and relaxing, you're going. Like, you need to be ready to leave. It's readiness. It's not... Sit there, recline, shoes off, make yourself at home. It's cloak tucked in, shoes on, staff. This is a meal to be eaten in readiness for departure because that was part of the promise is that you would, they would be leaving Egypt from here. So if you came around to my house for dinner, I said, just so you know, don't make yourself comfortable. Don't take your shoes off. Uh, dinner's in the Tupperware. Grab a fork. <laughs> be ready to leave. It wouldn't be particularly relaxing. You'd, you know, you'd be eating it to leave. And so that's one thing I wanted to just, ping, just think about the nature of the meal that he's promised them, is it's not one to be eaten in a relaxed capacity. And not only this, but there's some significance around the inclusion of the bitter herbs. Now, I did some looking into this. There's quite a few schools of thought on the significance of the fact that herbs are bitter. Uh, and the conclusion I've kind of drawn, looking at a few things, is the bitterness for a modern-day Jew symbolizes the bitterness of slavery and suffering. So that that kind of goes in with the lamb. And the lamb is, you know, spoiler alert, is a picture of Jesus and uh, our, you know, sacrificial lamb. But that the bitter herbs it is a kind of reminder to us now of the, the bitterness of that suffering. So... When a Jewish person would eat it now, that's what it goes in there for, and I imagine that that's what they would have understood as they cooked it back then too. Now, from there, so we've got our wonderfully roasted lamb. We are, um, we've had all these specific instructions, and I wonder, why, did the, why is he so specific? Like, it seems so weird to me that, you know, actually God could have saved them in any way, really. Like, he'd, he could have said... Oh, don't, actually, the lamb's not that important. I'll, I'll say, just sit on your garden and sit on your front lawn. <laughs> I'll know not to come, at, you know, hold up a sign or whatever. You know, he could have picked a whole bunch of ways. But um, the fact there's specificity and the fact that God has made them kind of do all these very strange and odd things, for me, I'm like, why, why so specific? Why this very particular pattern of bitter herbs and, and things like that? And I think it teaches us something about faith in this story. Now, if I said, right, I'm going to give you a series of weird instructions and you have to do it, you can't ask me why. Like, you just got to do it. You'd be like, you have to act on trust and faith a bit, don't you? You just kind of have to assume that what I'm saying isn't complete insanity and that you just got to kind of go for it. And I wonder if, even though for a Jewish person, kind of killing a lamb to eat wouldn't have been that odd, um, 
actually the specificity in the instructions, they would have been quite peculiar. And for many of the Jewish people there, their lives were getting worse, not, not better at this point. In fact, all these plagues and all these struggles and things they were experiencing, for many of them, they might not have thought God was really with them at all. You know, beyond Moses coming in and saying, look, you're going to be freed from the Egyptians, it's all going to be great. Um, but up to this point, what's happened? There's been plagues, there's been death, there's been um, just so much awful stuff. And least of all, they've been suffering for years and years and decades and decades under the rule of the Egyptians. For many of them, to then be suddenly told, by the way, can you, God's going to save you now, but you have to do this set of crazy things. I imagine there's one or two of them going, really? It's just, just another one of those. Oh, I don't know if I want, like... It's tough, right? It's, can you imagine in, in your life even now, like if you don't feel that God is kind of doing anything in your life at the moment or you feel that God is sort of absent from the way you're living or it's been difficult and then someone says, God's going to do this for you now, but by the way, you have to go do this. I think for some of us, we'd be like, ah, this doesn't, I don't know. Like you'd certainly take pause, wouldn't you? I, I feel like I would for sure. Things have gone from bad to worse and then suddenly you are given the promise of freedom, but it comes at you know, the cost of you taking a step of faith. And I think for many Jews, that would have been really difficult. But I wonder, did it matter? Would it have mattered if a Jew was like, all in, yep, on it, or another Jew who was like, I'm not sure, I'm going to do it, but I'm, I'm kind of doing it because I'm, I'm scared of the risk. Did, it, did that matter? No, God rescued them just the same. God saved them just because they took that little faith step. And sometimes the faith step is a bit that's really hard, but ultimately God will still save. He doesn't ask for a lot from you. I mean, that's the best bit, isn't it? Is that actually we don't have to do, well, anything really. Jesus has done it all for us. Um, we just need a little step of faith. Now, I'm just going to make sure I'm up to where I need to be. Yeah, so if, I just want to take a moment just to pause there and just say, like, if you feel that God isn't working in your life and, and that things in your praying and things are not happening and, that, and it's a challenge and it's a struggle, I can't speak directly into that, but what I can say is that all God asks for is a little bit of faith. But still, even within that, Jesus has still sacrificed himself for you. He's done the big thing. That's what Joe was saying. There is, of course, little things that might feel big, but actually... Jesus has done the main thing through his sacrifice on the cross. And sometimes as well, we want clear instructions, don't we, from God? Sometimes it's quite nice, isn't it? And, you know, we look at the flip side of getting all these specific things about how to cook a lamb. You're thinking, well, at least, he, at least he's telling us what he wants. At least, at least I know what to do. Like, sometimes we want that now, don't we? Sometimes we're like, God, just tell me what to... Give me, give, me the, give me the recipe. Just tell me, do this, do this, do this. Apply for this job, buy that house, or rent that house, move there, do this. Sometimes that's what we want. We just want the instruction. Just tell me what to do so I know what to do. And we're just praying about it and we have no idea. Um, but I don't think that happens very often. <laughs> I've yet to tell, I have yet to meet someone that can come up and go, yeah, God told me to do this, this, and gave me a nice long to-do list. Um, I don't think that happens really for us much either. But again, it's about faith, and it's about us kind of going the right direction and trusting that God will help guide us. But also, here's a crazy idea, 
and Joe might like get me off stage at this point, we'll find out. Sometimes I just don't think God minds. <laughs> if, it's not, if you're seeking him in your choices and, and you say, well, God, where, where shall I go on holiday this year? I sometimes feel like God's just going to go, where do you want to go? <laughs> just go there. You know, I think it's all right. I think God gives us a destination, not the route. You know, he doesn't give us these specific instructions that he gave the Jews then. We have different provision now. There's grace. There's different things. And yes, I think we should seek God in everything we do. Of course we should. I'm not saying ignore him. Well, I can do what I like now. That's not what I'm saying. But I do think that there is freedom and joy in making choices and enjoying our lives and not feeling like we can't ever do anything in case we've had a big neon sign from God saying this is the way forward. Um, so, yeah, uh, God can give us um, the route, but not, no, he can give us the destination, but not necessarily the route. Right, the next thing that I want us to think about for a moment is the sacrifice. Now, of course, the next part of this is the killing of the lamb, and it's not, you don't need to be a theologian to see where this points for our Christian lives today. Now, there was provision made for these Jews to be saved from death. And Jesus has created a different provision for us as Gentiles today. We're technically Gentiles, I suppose, unless you were a Jewish here today, um, which I don't think there are any, but I could be wrong. Um, And this very thing is talked about later in the Lord's Supper, the communion, which we are going to share later today, which is in Luke 22. I'll just read that little bit again. I won't read the whole thing. It says, after taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom comes. He took the bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, this is my body given for you. Do it in remembrance of me. Now, in Luke 22, the Lord's Supper, the famous uh, piece of scripture that where Jesus is sharing his last supper, he is there in Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. He's there celebrating this thing that we're talking about in Exodus for the Jews back then. And he was speaking of how that would change and transform to what it is for us now, where he would be the sacrificial lamb for us. In Paul, it's actually Paul in Corinthians that makes very specific reference to Jesus as a sacrificial lamb. Uh, you can look that up as Corinthians 5 if you want to. Uh, I'm not going to read it, but just so you know where it is. And where Paul actually refers to Jesus in that way. Now, you might, know, you might not have noticed, but in the whole passage of the Lord's Supper, they talk about the bread and they talk about the wine, but there was a key ingredient missing in that meal, and that's the lamb. Now, some would say that the lamb wasn't on the table because he was at the table, that, he was, that they weren't eating lamb that evening because he would become their sacrificial lamb in the days to come. Because after the Lord's Supper, after that last supper, he would then be that sacrifice for his disciples, but ultimately everyone. In fact, the fact that the lamb in the story of Exodus had to be without blemish and, without, and it had to be the, in the prime of its life, this kind of eight days to a year, that was considered the prime of its life for a kind of baby lamb. That was considered perfect. That had to be without 
any sort of defect, it says. And Jesus is that person for us, a person in the prime of his life who was at 33. I'd like to think that's still, I'm pretty much there. Um, and, uh, you know, in its prime, perfect, without blemish. That is Jesus, says he was without sin. He was the only person that could live without sin. And this is the whole gospel. The only way we, could, we can come to God and the only way we can be saved is because of the sacrifice of a perfect lamb, Jesus. And that is the whole gospel. That, that's it. It, it. You know, and we, were, we have been just amazingly given this provision and all we have been asked to do is take a faith step, much like the Jews of back then. They were not... Yes, there were sort of conditions, but they were things they needed to do. There were steps of faith they needed to make. And then finally, that leads me up to my last point, which is the rescue. And that is, it didn't end at the sacrifice. That's not where the story of Exodus ends. In fact, they are saved and they are, you know, they are removed from the death of all the other families in Egypt because they were passed over. Now it says in the story that there was not a house without death. And I think if we take a step back and we look at this as a modern as a modern kind of audience and we're reading that story, I think there is something interesting about there's there's a sort of metaphor in here about the our world now. Actually, that we have been, we've got provision for us and we have been saved and we've been, if you're a Christian today, you have been saved from sin and death. And it says the wages of sin are death. But we are surrounded by, literally and metaphorically, houses and homes all around us where people do not know the provision of God. They do not know who Jesus is. And they are living a life that will end in death. The wages of sin is death. They are living in sin. And it says there is not a house without death in that story. In this world now, there is not a house without sin. Even in our own houses, there's no house without sin. But God has wiped that clean for us. But there are people all around you, literally next door to you perhaps, that do not know Jesus. I want you to just take a second. In fact, Joe was saying there's 100,000 people in heaven today. Who, most of whom don't know Jesus. And I want you to think about that just for a moment. Just as we, before I just kind of jump on, and we are going to respond to this properly at the end, but I just want you to start thinking now who is that person in your life? Who is your either physical neighbor, maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a friend who doesn't know Jesus today? I want you to have them in your mind because I think that there is. Maybe we need to be something of a Moses today and we need to tell people what they need to do to be rescued. You know, someone had to go up to the Jews and say, you need to kill the lamb in this way and paint on the doorframe. Someone had to tell them that. Maybe we need to do that for somebody in the coming weeks and days. Because we have a gift, the gift of salvation that was given to us freely and that we can pass on to somebody else by just sharing who Jesus is today. In fact, um, as we were worshipping, we were hearing all these amazing things that God has done for us. <laughs> Let's share that. We're called to not be selfish with that. We need, there's people in heaven that need Jesus today. He's not ask, God's not asking you to rescue them, by the way. He's just asking you to take a faith step. Maybe you just need to 
mention the fact you even go to church. <laughs> maybe that's the first step you need to take. Maybe it's inviting them. Maybe it's Alpha, whatever it is. I hope as I've been talking there, you've been thinking about that person. Maybe it's several people. So just as I'm just going to draw to a close, I just uh, wonder if Lou could just pop up, um, and all the band in general, actually, not just Lou. Um, Now, what I want to do before we go into communion, we've got time for communion, we'll do that in a few minutes, and Joe's going to lead through communion after this, and I I wanted to sing, but as we sing this next song, and as we kind of come to a close, I want you to think about a couple of things. Because communion is really a representation of what God has done for us today as Christians and all the amazing things that that is involving. But I want you to think about those who perhaps, maybe you're not a Christian today in this room and maybe you need to hear about what Jesus has done for you today. But as we sing and as we listen and as we hear what the band are you know, playing, I want you to think about those who don't know Jesus in your communities and in your contexts today. We have an opportunity, and we might be the only people who have the opportunity to speak to these people about who Jesus is. And I want to challenge you this morning. You know, sometimes I discount myself in this because I work for a Christian charity, so I only know Christians. It's simply not true. There's plenty of people I know who I could speak to them about Jesus. And maybe as we sing, maybe you need to pray for them. Maybe you need to ask God for the courage to take a faith step this week. But we're all called to do something here. I think we can pray now, but I think we will, you will need to do something at some point. <laughs> and I think that I'd like to offer the chance. Maybe you need to talk to somebody at the end, and the best way to do that. But Yeah, why don't we stand? It's just, um, it's cold, but... Uh, just going to pray and then we'll sing. Lord Jesus, I just want to thank you for the sacrifice you've made for us. And Lord, I pray for every single person that we're thinking about in this room right now that doesn't know you. If it's a, either a friend of mine or a family member of, of who, whoever in this room, Lord, I just pray that you'd bring them to light, Lord, and there would be opportunity, Lord. But I pray you would give us the courage to do something about it, Lord. Lord, give us your courage to share who you are this week, Lord, where it's appropriate and where it's right, Lord. But yes, we ask for opportunity, Lord, but we understand that we are not passive in this, Lord, that you're not necessarily just going to put it on a plate for us. We need to do something. We need to use our words. We need to be there for somebody. We, need, we might need to do something for someone that helps them ask some questions or makes them realize we're somehow different. But Lord, I pray you would provide opportunity and courage for us today speak of you to this community to this nation who so desperately desperately needs you